Welcome to Beside the Burn for Monday the 23rd of August. This week we're continuing to look at the story of the meal that Jesus had at Mary and Martha's house. We're going to look at that today and tomorrow and then the rest of the week we're going to look at a few different areas. Uh, that have interested me recently, just to give you a little bit of variety this week. So we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 10 and the occasion whenever Martha invited Jesus uh, to her home and then got rather annoyed with Mary. So let's look at the uh, verses together and see what more we can learn about it. Remember, you can go and listen to the service from Sunday uh, and there's a whole sermon on this passage. So verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And immediately uh, we see, as I mentioned on Sunday, that it is Martha who instigates this whole episode. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are travelling. They come to a village and Martha opens up her home to him. Now, we're not told here whether they know each other at this stage. Certainly, um, there, later on, whenever uh, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus dies, uh, Jesus obviously cares deeply for them and knows them uh, intimately as a family and, and cries because Lazarus has died and then goes and brings Lazarus back to life. But at this point, we're not told whether they know each other what the situation is, but for whatever reason, Martha decides to invite Jesus back to her home. So Martha, the one who is left with all the work, the one who gets annoyed at having to do all the work, is the one who issues the invitation and opens up her home to Jesus and the disciples. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So here's the uh, contrast between the two. Martha invites Jesus in. She then gets herself busy doing all the preparation, getting everything ready for the meal. But her sister Mary uh, decides that she is going to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to what he has to say. And on first glance, it appears that Martha is doing all the hard work. Mary is just um, almost being lazy, as it were, uh, and just sitting and, and listening to what Jesus has to say. And there's an element where Martha is complaining about all of this, and she would dearly love to be sitting at Jesus' feet, but she has so much else to do. So we see these two women, these two sisters, very different in their temperament, very different in their outlook, very different in what they're doing with each other. So verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And this is as far as we're going to go in the story today. Uh, we'll look at the remaining few verses uh, tomorrow. Uh, but there are a few key things in this particular verse that I want us uh, to, to notice. First of all, we're told that Martha was distracted. And the idea here is that there is something that requires concentration and Martha has been distracted from it. And she has been distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So the preparations had to be made. Jesus and the disciples were invited into the home. They were there to eat. So there were preparations that had to take place. But Martha had become distracted by them. And she was so caught up in getting ready for the meal, that she forgot who it was that she was preparing the meal for. She forgot why she was doing all the preparation. And that's very, very easy for us to get distracted. Very easily get distracted in life by all sorts of things. But it's very easy to get distracted in God's service by the very thing that we are doing for him and forgetting then that it is for his glory and, and not our own. 
we can serve in the church and we get very little recognition for it and we begin to complain that others are not pulling their weight and others are not doing what we expect them to do. But we don't know the reasons why. We don't know the full story, as we were saying on Sunday. Don't compare yourself with others because you never know the full story. You don't know what's going on in that person's life that's not allowing them to do the very thing that you expect them to do. And the number of times that um, I have bit my tongue, the number of times that I've tried to be very careful before accusing anyone of anything because as at the moment that you accuse someone of not pulling their weight, you suddenly get an insight into what's going on in their life and you suddenly realise the pressures that they're under and realise the difficulties that they face. So Martha had become distracted by all these things and she came to Jesus. Now that is the thing that we can commend her for, that she comes to Jesus because she sees the problem and even though it's not really a problem, she comes to Jesus and she asks him. And that should be our first port of call is to come to Jesus, bring our problems to him, bring our prayers to him. That whenever there's someone that we're not happy with, come to Jesus, pray for that person, ask for blessing upon that person, ask for understanding for that person's situation so that you might know where they're coming from and what the problem is. And then she asks this question, don't you care? And it's that accusation that's made of Jesus that the disciples made in the boat whenever the storm came up. Don't you care? And of course Jesus cares and of course we know Jesus cares. But how many times perhaps have we asked that same question? An illness has come into our lives and we say, Lord, don't you care about me that you've allowed this illness to come in? Or uh, we have difficulties with um, a, a particular problem in life. And we ask, Lord, don't you care? If you cared, we wouldn't be having these difficulties, we wouldn't be facing these problems. Or there's a relationship that becomes rocky and we say, Lord, don't you care? If you cared, this relationship wouldn't be like this. But Jesus does care. Jesus doesn't abandon us. Jesus doesn't leave us to sort those things out on our own. So it's... uh, A question that we've perhaps all asked, but we know the answer to it. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha spots the problem and she has a solution ready and waiting for Jesus. Just go and tell Mary to to help me. And if Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him then she's there when all of this happens. And at this point, perhaps she's a little embarrassed, thinking, I really should have been helping Martha. I don't know what I was thinking. But as we'll see tomorrow, Jesus is able to gently turn all of this around, gently able to point out the problem to Martha and commend Mary for what she's doing. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the one who listens to our problems, the one who listens to our complaints, even whenever they are totally unfounded. We thank you that Jesus is the one who is able to show us what is truly important in life and help us sort out our priorities. We thank you that Jesus always cares and never leaves us forsaken on our own. So Lord, help us to see how you care in our lives. Help us to notice the things that you do rather than the things we think you don't do. Help us, Lord, to pray for others rather than to complain about them. Help us to bring them before your throne so that they might know your grace and your favour. And Lord, may we pray for those that we have a problem with, that that problem would be taken away and that we would have genuine love and genuine care like you have set the example for us. So Lord, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.
Welcome to Beside the Burn for Tuesday the 24th of August. Uh, this is the second day that we're looking at the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus coming to the house uh, for the meal together. If you were listening yesterday, uh, we looked at how Martha became upset with her sister Mary and how she brought the complaint to Jesus. And that's where we left it. And now today we're going to see in verses 41 and 42 of Luke chapter 10, how Jesus deals with that and how he is able uh, to help Martha see what's truly important and to help Mary uh, see what that what she is doing is right. So Jesus um, answers uh, Martha. And he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So look at the way Jesus reacts to Martha. He doesn't react harshly. He doesn't say, oh, don't bother me with this. I've, I've had a long day. I've had many people after me. I'm dealing with the disciples. The last thing I need is this domestic problem. That is not what Jesus says. He comes and he speaks to Martha. And look at the way he speaks to her. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. It seems like a gentle response. He's using her name. He uses it twice just to let her know that there's a sense of affection here that he does care about. Don't you care, Lord? Martha, Martha, of course I care. Of course I'm addressed it. But let's look at the situation. And so she has brought her concern to Jesus and Jesus answers that concern. And he says, you are worried and upset. And Jesus continually tells us not to be afraid, not to worry, not to be concerned. Think about how he told us uh, not to be worried about what we eat and drink because the, the birds of the air and the, the flowers of the field are all clothed beautifully and provided for uh, by God. So we're not to worry. So Martha, don't worry about these temporal matters that you seem so upset about. And he says to her, you're worried and upset about many things. So there's so much going on. There's so much needing to be prepared. And Martha has chosen to allow those things to distract her from what's important, to distract her from Jesus. And we can allow many things to distract us from Jesus. There's so much going on in the world day by day. There's so much going on in our lives day by day that we get distracted and we get blown off course and we forget what is truly important. Even um, we've been, we're one of the um books that I, I've read a little bit of and, and heard reports of is amusing ourselves to death by Neil Postman. And the idea is that in the world today, we are amusing ourselves and distracting ourselves with all of the, the television and films and books and now social media and internet we amuse ourselves with all these things that have no lasting importance. We just distract ourselves from what is truly important, like Martha is being distracted here, and then we complain. We're reading something on our phone and somebody interrupts us and we are annoyed about it. There are many things. And Jesus says, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. There's only one thing that is truly important in all of this, and that one thing is Jesus. Jesus himself. And we're to make him our priority. We're to make him the most important thing. And when Jesus ceases to be the most important thing, then we're distracted and we end up with problems. A friend of mine once went to learn how to water ski and he was told that the most important thing 
in learning to water ski was to have your knees bent and to keep your knees in that bent position. The temptation was to straighten them, but once you would straighten your your knees and your legs, then you would go off balance and you would end up in the water. So that was the main thing. That was the most important thing. You had to keep that firmly in your mind. And once it slipped, you were in problems. And it's the same with life. Jesus is to be the most important thing. If we become distracted and something else becomes more important than Jesus, even for a little moment, then we end up in trouble. And Jesus said to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has made that choice. She could have gone into the kitchen to help you get everything prepared, but she made a choice. And she has chosen something that's better than all the preparations. Preparations are distracting you, Martha. You need to make a better choice. And Jesus said it will not be taken away from her. She's made the choice to focus on Jesus and to concentrate on Jesus. And what she does in that will not be taken from her. So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to tell her to go and help you in the kitchen because she's made a better choice. I'm not going to tell her to go and help you with all the preparations because you have made a different choice and it's not a good one. And therefore, we need to look carefully at the choices that we make in life. Are we choosing Jesus day by day as being the best choice, as being the most important choice? Whenever we have an option in life, do we consider Jesus in that option? Do we look at it and evaluate it based on what is best for Jesus in this situation? We used to always ask that question, what would Jesus do in this situation? But I think we need to be asking, what would bring glory to Jesus in this situation? What would lift his name high? What would point others to him? Because so often we introduce so many things in our lives that we distract people from Jesus instead of making a straight path for Jesus. We're told in Mark's gospel at the beginning of it that John the Baptist came and he was making a straight path for Jesus. And that should be our desire in life, that we open up the way for people to come to Jesus. So often the things that we say and the things that we do in life make it difficult for people to trust Jesus because they see us as hypocrites. They see us as living lives that aren't attractive and and don't do anything good for the gospel. But we're to seek first the kingdom of God. We're to seek Jesus Christ and put him above everything else. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. What we do for Jesus and what we choose for Jesus will not be taken away from us. So today we have a choice. We have several choices along the way today. Are we going to choose Jesus? Are we going to choose what is better? Each time that you've got a choice to make today, just ask yourself, am I going to choose what is better here? Am I going to make a decision that brings glory to Jesus or brings ease and comfort to me? And that is our choice today. So let's ask Jesus to help us. Lord Jesus, help us today to make the better choice. Help us to choose you and your glory and your kingdom above all other things. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted by the things of this world, but help us instead to choose you and bring glory to you. Help us, Lord, in everything that we do, that we might have what is best in life, because you are better than everything else. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Wednesday the 25th of August. We're departing from the story of Mary and Martha for the next few days at the end of this week. And I'm simply just going to take 
a few things that have interested me over the last few weeks and share them with you. Uh, things that have challenged me, things that have helped me, uh, things that I've been thinking about. And the first one that uh, we're going to start with today is a rather famous quote about when one door uh, closes. And it's a quote uh, from Helen Keller. And I think it was brought to my attention on a Facebook post uh, by uh, Kristen Getty. And she was um, mentioning this particular quote and mentioning how sometimes we don't always read all of the quote and all of the quote is actually uh, quite interesting. So the uh, quote that we normally come across is when one door of happiness closes, another opens. And the encouragement of that quote is that, well, whenever something in life stops happening, something that we enjoy and something that uh, we want to continue, whenever that closes and it stops, there's usually another door of opportunity that opens. And the thinking behind that is that we can be encouraged and I suppose sometimes people might quote this uh, almost as if it's in the Bible itself. It's not a it's not a verse that's in the Bible. It is something that we can see at times in the Bible, uh, but it is encouraging. And the idea is that whenever uh, we see an open door, that we should ask Jesus, "Is that the way that you want us to go? Is that what you want us to do?" But there is actually more to this quote than just this uh, one line. Here's a quote in full. When one door of happiness closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one which has been opened for us. And that expands the idea of this quote so much. That little word but there in the middle and the second half of the quote really makes us stop and think more carefully about doors that open and close. That sometimes we are so sad and so distraught at the thing that has stopped that we're not looking for God to open another door. We would rather complain. We would rather be sad. We would rather tell others how much we have lost rather than looking for the opening that comes. Now, this is easy to say whenever we're not faced with a closed door. But whenever that door slams firmly shut in front of us, especially if it's something that we have truly enjoyed and truly valued, Whenever that has been taken away from us, whether it's a, a job, whether it's an opportunity for service, whether it's a friendship, a relationship, whatever it happens to be that has been closed firmly in front of us, we need to make sure that we don't spend so long looking at the closed door that we forget that there are more opportunities and more to do. Of course, there is a grieving process that needs to go to that we need to go through. And depending on what it is that has been closed in front of us, then that grieving may take longer um, for certain situations. But we have this promise that God will not forsake us, that he will not leave us, and he will lead us in the way that he has intended for us. The interesting thing is that uh, Helen Keller, um, we often quote her with this, but it's not uh, a quote that's uh, original to her. It seems to be a quote based on something that Alexander Graham Bell said. Now, Helen Keller uh, was a, a great Christian um, she was, from the age of about 18 months, she was deaf and blind, uh, and yet she had such a powerful testimony. But Alexander Graham Bell, this is what he said, when one door closes, another door opens. But we so often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the ones that are open for us. And there's no mention of God here, 
but the idea that Helen Keller takes it and uses it to point us towards God and what he has done for us. So is there any merit in this in the Bible? Is this a biblical idea? Well, it's a biblical idea in the fact that God always guides us and leads us. So whenever he stops us doing one thing, he will have something else for us to do and he will lead us and guide us through his Holy Spirit. Perhaps one of the clearest examples of this in the Bible is in Acts chapter 16. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So they had been stopped, they had been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word. Now you would assume that there would be an opportunity to preach the word wherever they went. But the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, stopped them from doing this in the province of Asia. And that was very firmly a door being closed. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But, again, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So, again, they... Here was a door that had never been opened, but it was firmly shut. They thought they would try it. They thought they would go this way. They thought that because the the first time they had been stopped from preaching the word, that now they would go this direction and they would be able to preach there and serve there. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they had to pass by Messiah and they went down to Troas. So... Each time the doors are being closed or kept closed in front of them and they're trying somewhere else to see where they're being led and the Holy Spirit is clearly saying no on these occasions. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So where the Holy Spirit had firmly shut the door, Now the Holy Spirit in a vision is clearly telling Paul, this is what I want you to do. You're to go to Macedonia. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. At once. There was no questioning of this. There was no waiting to see. The door had been opened in front of them and they were now ready to go that way. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Where they'd been stopped from preaching the gospel, now there was an opportunity. Where the door had been closed, now the door was open. And I suppose if we take Alexander Graham Bell's quote and Helen Keller's quote, if Paul had have regretted the closure of Asia and had tried in all sorts of ways to open those doors that were firmly shut, if he'd been focused on what he had lost and not being able to go there, then he would not have responded to the vision of Macedonia, and he would not have had the opportunity to preach the gospel there. So, what doors have been firmly shut for you? And when they've been shut, have you simply given up? Have you simply stopped? Have you simply become content with the door being closed? Or have you looked for an open door? Have you looked for a new way to serve, a new way to follow, a new thing that God wants to do in your life? Don't regretfully look at the closed door. Instead, come to God and ask him to open a door and to show you the way forward. So let's bow before him in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that when doors close, you do open new doors. When opportunities are stopped, you're the one who leads us to new pastures. And therefore, Lord, we pray that you would guide us today. Help us to realise when a door is closed firmly shut. And help us then to look around to see where you could be taking us to and what you could be asking us to do. Help us, Lord, to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Welcome to Beside the Burn for Thursday the 26th of August. This week uh, I've been sharing some uh, thoughts with you, uh, some ideas, uh, some uh, little bits and pieces of quotes that have uh, impacted me or challenged me or interested me uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, yesterday we were looking at doors that have closed and opportunities that come our way. And today we're going to look at the narrow path. And this has all stemmed from a quote that I, I read uh, from Jen Wilkin. Um, Jen Wilkin has written a number of great books. They're, they're, they're quite short little books. They're easily read. And she's written one, Ten Words to Live By, which is based on the Ten Commandments. And it'd be well worth getting uh, and reading about the, the Ten Commandments uh, from what she has said. But in that book... Uh, she talks about the, the narrow path and the idea is that the Ten Commandments give us guidelines for living our, our lives and result in quite a narrow path for us to follow. If we keep the Ten Commandments, they will keep us on this narrow path of following God. If we break the commandments and we stray off the path and we know that the, the narrow path is the difficult one. And this is what she has to say about it. She says the narrow path is narrow because its gate is Christ alone and its way is the way of holiness. It is the path that teaches us the delight of loving God and neighbour as we look toward a day when all will be made new. So, we know that there's a narrow path and a broad way. We know that many are on the broad way and are going to destruction. But we also know that the narrow way is the, the difficult way for life. And yet that is what Jesus is calling us to choose. And Jen points out that the narrow path is narrow by its very nature because the way onto that narrow path is through the gate, which is Christ alone. The broad path has so many ways onto it, but there's only one way onto this narrow path, and that is Jesus. No other way, not our good deeds, not our efforts, not our um, intellect, not our good ideas, but it is Jesus Christ alone that gets us onto that narrow path. And the only way to stay on that path is through holiness, by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, by following his way and obeying him. And that leads to a life of holiness, to be holy just as God is holy. And our sanctification, that growing process day by day of becoming more and more like Christ. So this narrow path is difficult. And this is something that I struggle with a lot as I, I read God's word and as I look at the world we live in. Because at times there's this idea that Jesus is wonderful and that everything is great. And if everyone would just accept Jesus, oh, there'd be a big party and everybody would be rejoicing. But the reality is that when we choose Jesus, it can be difficult. It can be hard. Everything is not perfect. And anyone that tells you that choosing Jesus is easy it is lying to you. And there's this idea that in, in some churches today, oh, everything is happy and everything is wonderful. But we know the reality of suffering and we know the reality of the troubles that come our way whenever we follow Jesus. So here, Jan is saying, it is the path that teaches us the delight of loving God and neighbour as we look toward a day when all will be made new. There is a day coming when there will be rejoicing. There is a day coming when everything will work together for good and when everything will be made new, a new heaven and a new earth. But that day is in the future and it is still to come. And it's this narrow path with Jesus Christ and obeying him in holiness 
that allows us to delight in God and delight in loving our neighbour and serving him. We read about the narrow and the broad path in scripture. In Matthew 7 verses 13 to 14, we're told to enter through the narrow gate. That narrow gate is Jesus Christ alone. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. That is sobering, that only a few find it. And today we've got to ask ourselves, have we found that gate, that gate that is Jesus Christ? Because many people are finding the wide gate and the broad road, but it's leading to destruction. But we need to be following what is small and narrow, following Jesus and trusting in Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there it is, that idea of the narrow gate. Nobody can come to the Father. Nobody can get through that narrow gate unless they come through Jesus Christ. And life is full of people who have other ways of coming to God, who have other ways of being accepted by him, have other ways of finding eternal life. But it is only through Jesus. It's not through our efforts. It's not through our goodness. It's not anything that we deserve. It's not earning points and getting above a certain threshold. It is through Jesus alone. Jesus who is the way, Jesus who is the truth and Jesus who is the life. There is no other way to come to the Father. And that of course means that other religions are not a way to get to God. It's not that we're all following the same God. We can only come through Jesus. So if somebody doesn't know Jesus, then they're not coming to God. If somebody doesn't trust in Jesus and accept his forgiveness, which he purchased on the cross through his shed blood and his broken body, then they are not coming to God. They have been told a lie because only Jesus, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So whatever other religion, whatever other philosophy, whatever other plan you're following in life, it will not bring you to the Father only Jesus alone. So let's remember then, there's a narrow way and a broad way. We enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. And that quote from Jen Wilkin, the narrow path is narrow, Because its gate is Christ alone and its way is the way of holiness. Let's come to God in prayer. Lord God, help us this day to find you, the narrow path, the narrow gate, and enter through you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us, Lord, not to rely on other things or other people, but instead help us to find you and put all of our faith and all of our trust in you. Because, Lord, you are the way, the truth and the life. And we recognize today that there is no other way to come to the Father except through you. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Friday the 27th of August. Uh, Over the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to take a Friday as something different uh, on Beside the Burn. Uh, We're going to have our normal Bible studies Monday to Thursday. Uh, And then on Friday, I I want to approach God's Word in a slightly different way. Uh, Maybe by looking at a book that I've been reading or a quote that I've come across throughout the week or perhaps a piece of music. And I know I've done that on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, uh, but c- going forward, we're going to confine that to a Friday so that we've got something different and uh, something hopefully stimulating that will encourage you in your faith and build you up in your faith. 
Today, I want to share uh, a little bit of a story uh, about Callum's Road, and it's a book that I've been reading. If you're watching the video of this, uh, you can see a picture of the road, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, but it's all based around a book that I've been reading, Callum's Road. And that book, as I've been reading it, it made me think of some scripture that I'm going to share with you in a moment or two. Now, I have to say, uh, this book is not overtly spiritual, it's not overtly uh, Christian. It's a story of a man who lived on the island of Rathsay, which is near uh, Skye and in, in Scotland. And the problem was that uh, Callum MacDonald was living in a remote area and he was watching the local people leaving in their droves, so that the local community was being decimated. For years, he'd lived as a crofter. He'd had neighbours who were crofters. But as things changed in the modern world in the 1950s and 60s, people were leaving and the whole heart of the community was being ripped apart and he saw a time coming whenever he would be left there on his own. One of the big problems was getting access to the islands. And there were some roads on the islands, but they stopped short of where Callum lived. And therefore, it was difficult to get supplies to your house. It was difficult to travel in the winter time if you had a hospital appointment or you needed to get a doctor to your house. And so all these things made it very difficult to live there and to continue living there. Callum realised that he needed the road that stopped a couple of miles away to actually get to his house and get to the other houses in the area so that people would be attracted to live there and wouldn't leave. He looked for funding in lots of different places from the council, um, some help from the army, but none of that was forthcoming. And Callum decided to build the road himself. Now, the road is well known in Scotland and in the islands. It's also known throughout the world. This book has been written about it. There's also an album of music entitled Callum's Road, which you really need to listen to as you're reading the story because it sets the scene of it all. Now, as I said, the story isn't overtly Christian or spiritual, apart from the fact that Callum himself is a Christian. He has a deep, deep faith. And that is over all that he does. And therefore, whenever he's working on this road, on his own, he has a determination because he has faith that this is the right thing to be doing. He works Monday to Saturday and then he takes a Sabbath day as his rest each week. And he does that clearly and doesn't deviate from it. And his daughter talks about how uh, his faith motivated him in doing this and how that taking a day off each week uh, kept him able to work and keep working at the road. And he wasn't a young man whenever he was doing this. By the time he finished it, he was into his 70s and yet he was strong and active and fit and able to do all these things. Now, it, it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful book. Um, I'd encourage you to, to get it and read it. Um, sometimes over the summer, I just like to read something different and, and something that isn't overtly uh, spiritual. Uh, so uh, you, you can take that uh, as you will and I'd encourage you to go and listen to the music as well because it, it is wonderful and just sets the scene. And it reminded me of lots of things in my childhood, especially at my grandparents' uh, house on the farm at Carnley uh, because... Callum is a crofter. Uh, he would go each year and cut peat and set it up on stooks and dry it and then bring it back to the house for the winter and talks about the smell of the peat and the heat that comes off it. I remember uh, going to the moss with uh, my grandfather and grandmother, a great day out, a picnic had, the hard work of the cutting of the peats, which I was too young to be doing, uh, but saw them doing and uh, sliping them out and setting them up. Uh, to, to dry. It was just a, a wonderful, wonderful picture uh, that Callum's Road reminded me of all those things. 
And the idea was that Callum built this road and it was a difficult job. He had to blast rock at times. He had to set the road out, get a good foundation for it and make sure that it followed the contours of the land properly. And people travel from all around to go and see this road and uh, to walk along it and to see the work uh, that Callum was involved in. Callum was recognised for his work. Uh, He was given the British Empire Medal and uh, he was uh, renowned for his Gaelic speaking and um, uh, all, all that he was able to do. So where does the spiritual come in? Well, as I was reading it, I couldn't help but think of the Romans road, uh, the Romans road of salvation. And there's a way of describing our faith by going through the book of Romans and uh, following the roadway through Romans, uh, looking at various verses along the way, which describes our salvation. And I want to share that with you today. You've probably heard it before. Uh, You've maybe even came to faith through the Romans road road of salvation. Uh, But I want to just share that with you. And it's a simple way that if you ever want to share your faith with someone, here are a few key verses from Romans that will help you do that. Begins in Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that reminds us that we are all in a difficult position before God because we have sinned. We have rejected God. We have uh, turned away from him. We've come short of his glory. And therefore, we have a huge problem. We've all done things that are displeasing to God. There is no one who is innocent. And if we uh, look earlier in chapter 3 of Romans, here it describes our sinful state and the problem that we are in. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. It could almost be describing today's world, couldn't it? All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that is a description of us before we come to Christ that we fall short of God's glory. We have sinned. And therefore, we need God to come and to help us. Because of that sin, we're told then in Romans 6, the next step along the road, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of our sin, we deserve to die. We deserve to be separated from God. But God comes and his gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we come to him and we receive that eternal life. And then as we go on in in Romans, Romans 5 and verse 8, the next step along the journey. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This is how God shows that he loves us and he cares for us, that he sent Jesus to die. He sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And he did that while we were still sinners. And this is the important part. It's not that God looked down upon us and thought, oh, well, there's Richard. He's not so bad. He's quite a good person. I'll send Jesus to die for him and bring him into heaven. No. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in you that would attract God. He just demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And that is the incredible nature of the gospel. Next stop along the road is Romans 10 and verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is how we come to salvation. That if we declare, if we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and believe that in our hearts, 
then we will be saved. It's not just a matter of saying it, but we need to believe it in our hearts. There needs to be a change in us. And when we do that, then we will be saved from our sin. Then we will be saved from the wages of that sin, death. Then we will have eternal life. And uh, in Romans 10, 13, we've got that repeated again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is a wonderful thing today, that we are saved through Jesus Christ and by believing in him. In Romans 5, verses 1 to 2, so those were the steps of the Romans road, but I just want to go back and pick up a couple of verses through Romans that will encourage us. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's how we come to faith. That's how we have this relationship with Jesus Christ and brought into rightness again, that we have this peace with God through faith in him. Romans 8, 1 to 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. No more condemnation because of what Jesus Christ has done and we rejoice in that. So let's give thanks for the Romans road of salvation. That as we go through this book of Romans and we pick up those verses, we see how Jesus Christ came to take away our sin and to bring us eternal life. And maybe you want to share some of those verses. Maybe get the book of Romans, go through and find the the verses, underline them, highlight them so that you can find them easily and share them with others because it explains the gospel very clearly and helps us share it with others. And that came about from me reading about Callum's Road and that story of the crofter in Rathsey. Let's bow before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are so many lessons about you in the world around us, that you reveal yourself to us in so many different ways. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that we have and for this road through the book of Romans that helps us see uh, how we have sinned and our need for salvation and how you bring that salvation to us. Lord, help us day by day to trust you, to follow you and to find hope and faith in you. And may we be able to share that with others in Jesus' name. Amen.